Welcome to the Factual Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factual. I'm Jimmy Levis. Today is March 31st, and in this week's forecast, we've got Shanghai's coronavirus lockdown, a strike by Tunisian journalists, elections in Hungary, the Senate Judiciary Committee voting on a Supreme Court nomination, and an interview about the recent attacks in Israel. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. The west side of Shanghai, China, is set to enter lockdown starting Friday. It's part of a two-phase restriction on movement enacted in the city, which is mainland China's most significant financial hub. The lockdown, of course, is due to a surge in coronavirus cases. The east side of the city went under lockdown for five days beginning March 28th during the first phase, with massive testing underway. Shanghai's lockdown is China's biggest coronavirus closure since the shutdown of the city of Wuhan two years ago. Wuhan is believed to be the origin of the coronavirus pandemic. A record nearly 3,500 asymptomatic cases were reported in Shanghai the day before the lockdown started, accounting for nearly 70% of the nationwide total and reaching China's highest case tallies since the first weeks of the pandemic. Now, Under China's zero-coronavirus strategy, cities and even a province have come under lockdown in recent weeks due to a fresh wave of cases fueled by the Omicron variant. But given Shanghai's role as a global financial and manufacturing hub and as a major international port, Chinese officials opted for the two-phased approach to minimize disruptions to world trade. The National Syndicate of Tunisian Journalists is planning a one-day national strike for Saturday, involving several public media institutions. Press freedom in Tunisia has been considered one of the most important successes of the country's Arab Spring in 2011. In fact, from 2011 to 2019, Tunisia saw its ranking in the Reporters Without Borders annual Press Freedom Index rise 62 spots. However, a recent power grab by President Kais Saed brought further restrictions on press freedom, with several local and international news outlets facing state censorship and police raids. The recent arrest of Mosaic FM journalist on terrorism grounds over his refusal to release his sources to the government is just the latest in a series of detentions in the country. Now, Saturday's strike shows the growing opposition to the government across Tunisia's political spectrum. The journalist union hopes to pressure President Syed into reversing his decision to bring state television under government control. That government control would ban state media from featuring opposition figures including the country's ousted Islamist Inhada movement. Still, in the past, protesters in the country have faced arbitrary arrests, some resulting in years of lengthy prison sentences. Hungarians will vote in the country's parliamentary elections on Sunday. The vote will either secure a fourth term for Prime Minister Viktor Orban's populist right-wing Fidesz party, or usher in the six-party independent United Opposition, led by former mayor Peter Markizoy. Polls expect a tight race, with Prime Minister Orban's party leading by nearly 7%. Both campaigns have had to scrap some of their rhetoric in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, this will be the first political challenge Orban has faced in over a decade, and the election will foreshadow Hungary's position regarding Russia. Orban, the Kremlin's strongest EU ally, has campaigned to defer from joining the war, citing his own party as the pro-peace right. 
against Markizoy's support of Ukraine as the pro-war left. Financial woes will also creep up after the elections, created by a recent spending spree, immigration, and a lack of access to EU's pandemic recovery funds. The U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee will vote Monday on the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. The committee's actions comes ahead of a possible vote by the full Senate later in the week before its scheduled Easter break. Jackson's confirmation to fill the seat of retiring Justice Stephen Breyer is all but certain after West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin announced last week that he would support the nomination. Jackson also has at least one Republican vote. Earlier this week, means Susan Collins said she would vote to confirm the judge. Utah's Mitt Romney is also seen as a likely GOP supporter, though it's still unclear how he'll vote. Meanwhile, Collins and Romney's conservative colleagues have criticized Jackson over what they say is an expansive view on judicial power and record of being soft on crime. Now, while her confirmation wouldn't change the 6-3 conservative majority, Jackson would make history as the first black woman to sit on the high court. Jackson's hearings may also foreshadow the Republican Party's new line of attack in judicial hearings, as lawmakers continue to push to see nominees pre-sentencing reports. Our last item for this forecast is a look at the recent attacks in Israel. For more on that, I spoke with Factual Editor Ahmed Namatala. Hi, Ahmed. Hi, Jimmy. Well, Ahmed, it's been a surprisingly violent week in Israel with reports of several armed attacks. What can you tell us about these? It started uh, last week with an attack in Beersheba, that is a town in southern Israel, where a person from a neighboring Palestinian village who was also an Israeli citizen. They stabbed uh, three people to death and killed another person by running them over with their car. A few days later, in the town of Hadera, that is uh, north of Tel Aviv, two gunmen shot at people near a bus station, and they killed two police officers uh, before being shot dead. And uh, just yesterday, in Beni Brak, that is a town, uh, a suburb of Tel Aviv, known for its uh, ultra-Orthodox community. A gunman shot at people and uh, killed five, including a policeman. These attacks coming on uh, just within days of each other uh, have prompted a significant security response. In fact, security forces are on their highest alert level since the outbreak of violence uh, almost a year ago at this time. Um, only then it was with organized militant groups in the Gaza Strip. The other day you were saying that the location of these attacks is unusual. Can you explain that a little? Yes, it is uh, rare that we see attacks in uh, inside Israeli territory, usually with the attacks that we've seen over the past past decade in general, they have been uh, mostly in the West Bank uh, against mostly uh, military and police forces, although there have been attacks on civilians there. And uh, usually the casualty tolls are a lot lower. We, we have really not seen uh, many attacks where, um, you know, four or five people die at a, at a time. And this points to really the, the main difference between past three attacks and those other attacks 
these past three attacks appear to have been perpetrated by lone wolf actors. Um, this is according to Israeli security assessments so far. And uh, although they've been praised by militant groups in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, uh, none have directly taken responsibility for them. Do we know who's behind the attacks? We know that the first two attacks in Beersheba and Hadera, the Islamic State, uh, ISIS, has uh, taken responsibility for them. Now, um, that has uh, been called to doubt by many analysts because really there's, well, there's no way to verify that. And also the Islamic State has taken credit for attacks in the past where there have been no verifiable links between them and the perpetrators. In Benny Brock, it was a uh, Palestinian that actually crossed uh, the border between the West Bank and Israeli territory, and that is the subject of investigation. How have folks in Israel and in the region reacted to these attacks? So in Israel, there's uh, it's not just the reaction inside Israel that is notable, where people are angry and uh, holding protests. Um, we're seeing far-right groups uh, also hold protests, uh, like just a few hours ago, in uh, near the attack site in Beni Brock. We're seeing uh, also protests on the other side, inside the West Bank, where Palestinians are praising the uh, latest attack and saying that it's a justified response against Israeli occupation. Um, in uh, Arab capitals, uh, most of whom are in friendly terms with, at least the influential ones are in friendly terms with Israel. We've seen condemnation, uh, but we've also seen condemnation from uh, Arab Israelis who are members of uh, the Israeli parliament and also from the Palestinian Authority, which is seated in Ramallah in the West Bank. Well, Ahmed, I know there's a lot of unknowns here, but what do you think folks should be watching for next? I think the biggest question here is going to be uh, Israel's response. Israel's not used to dealing with lone wolf attackers. They're used to dealing with organized militant groups like Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Uh, they're used to dealing with uh, Iran. Uh, usually Israel will strike at Iranian assets either in Syria or Lebanon or in Iran, um, as we've seen, uh, in retaliation for whatever attacks uh, that have happened by these sides. Uh, with the Gaza Strip, it's the same thing. We'll see Israel carry out strikes uh, in response to rocket attacks. It, it, it remains to be seen how Israel deals with attackers that have seemingly not been satisfied with the response by Hamas and the uh, militant movements in the Gaza Strip and have gone even further to the right uh, to uh, the Islamic State. These attacks are notable because of the high death toll, which indicates that these attackers had some training of some sort. Uh, they're unlike any, uh, really, they're unlike attacks that we've seen. And so how Israel deals with them is a big question. Um, and another thing that we have to look to is uh, the upcoming holiday season in the Middle East. You have Ramadan coinciding with Passover, coinciding with Easter. And that is going to bring people from different faiths, some of whom don't necessarily like each other, um, together within very close proximity of each other, particularly in East Jerusalem. And this all comes on the back of uh, the violence that we saw last year. So there's definitely the potential for escalation there. Well, Ahmed, we are out of time, but 
As always, I appreciate your help in explaining the news in the region. Thanks for your insight here. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care. Today's episode was produced with work from Factual Editors Amana Gunawan, Agnese Bufano, Jaime Kai Moreno, and Joe Vieira. Our interview featured editor Ahmed Namatala, and our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. You can, of course, subscribe for free, and if you have feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com. <laughs>